Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Empire. The old intramural game is going big. We have a team playing this weekend. We're in uh, Indianapolis today. We're playing a, a round of 32 games at a USA football event called the One, which is their national championship of flag. I'm actually looking at a field right now. There's about 200 girls out there playing flag football. It is one of the most beautiful sights you've ever seen. That's Jeff Lewis, CEO of the American Flag Football League, where investment and expansion are intersecting. This is the Future Sport Podcast. I'm Bram Weinstein. In some ways, today's conversation is a couple of football fans shooting the you-know-what as training camp opens. And in other ways, this interview was interesting to hear how the far less violent but in some ways equally skilled play of flag football could have grassroots growth and a trajectory that amplifies the athletic excellence and then ultimately finds a home in the crowded sports verticals. What you will hear is a case to be made by Jeff Lewis, and it's a compelling one. Our guest this week is Jeff Lewis, who's the CEO of the American Flag Football League, which recently announced a program with Seed Invest, where they're going to allow fans and investors and players or anyone who wants to get involved by investing and being part of the league. Hey, Jeff, how are you? Great to have you here. I'm doing great. Thank you very much for having me on. Um, All right. Let me just start with um, just where you guys are as a league. I don't know if post-pandemic is the way to put this, but... I don't know, rounding third, we hope, you know, coming out of this pandemic. How have you guys uh, worked to survive through everything that's happened over the last year and a half? Well, you know, you, we all see the numbers uh, of what the losses have been for the big four sports, right? Uh, they're kind of shocking and staggering, uh, you know, in the hundred, you know, in the nine figures for all these teams, right? Um, the fact is that Sports are a really delicate balance. When you look at the business, uh, everybody thinks it's all about TV. It's all about media. It's all about, like, right speed. Uh, but what we've sort of come to understand as we build a business uh, model around flag football is, like, basically every sport needs three different, three different sort of legs of the stool in order to stand up. And one of them is the live event. So you have the live events, you have the media, and you have the corporate partnerships, licensing, merch. But if you don't have live events at all, okay, it just leaves a gaping hole. And that's what you see with all the, the guys that basically felt like they needed to continue and they needed to play. But, you know, it's funny, right? You had this sense, especially around baseball, that the owners could see the $100 million loss coming. And we're trying to do everything they could to sort of make the players look like the bad guys and sort of wiggle out of it, right? Yeah. Um, but eventually, they ended up playing and, and losing a tremendous amount of money. Um, but I think their brands, from you know, 
you know, it, it's interesting, right? The, the, the British Open uh, didn't play. Uh, and I think Wimbledon didn't play. And it was That's right. They had, uh, they had these massive insurance policies. <laughs> so it wasn't that they couldn't play. I mean, they, they were playing golf all over the world, right? But they wanted to take the money. They, so they actually sacrificed their brand, you know, for months. Um, so I don't know who, who, which, which do you like better? I kind of appreciate the fact that at a time where people really needed force, where we really needed, you know, we were home, um, and we were all feeling a little disconnected. There is an incredibly powerful thing in the connection of sports. So I certainly appreciate the fact that all these owners wrote hundred million dollar checks for us so that they, you know, they'll, they'll get it back. I'm not oh yeah. Them. Yeah. But, they, uh, they will get it back. That is for sure. Yeah, they will. Um, but, uh, from our perspective, you know, we, we just couldn't play. I mean, you know, we're a startup. Um, starting anything is hard. Uh, starting things sports is, is very difficult. Um, it's not like the history of uh, startup football leagues is uh, filled with great, great success. I mean, how many people can I talk to about this who remember the American Football League hmm. and how successfully they managed to turn themselves into the American Football Conference of the National Football League? But mostly... People remember things like XFL 1, XFL 2, the Alliance of American Football, Arena Football, the USFL, right? All of these different things. And what, what we uh, really sort of hang our hat on is that what, what they were trying to do was come up with another version of the greatest, what I believe is the greatest sporting event on the planet. What the NFL does better than any other sporting organization is it puts incredibly talented athletes into the position to do spectacular things that are also highly meaningful, right? And, and what I mean by that is in football, we don't play 80 games, 50 games, 160 games. We play for three months. We play once a week. Every game matters. It's, it's, it's my beloved Giants are 0-2 at the next season. It's over. Like you're basically like, you know, you got a 3% chance of making the playoffs, right? Every game is so important. So the NFL has this incredible combination, and I think that their real sort of ace in the hole versus other sports is the games are always meaningful. So the best athletes in the world playing a game that's structured the best, the exciting, you know, there's always the doubt. You know, we were talking about uh, how close the Redskins, uh, sorry, the football team, apologize, was able to play the, the Tampa Bay in the playoffs last year you know, any given Sunday, any given matchup, team versus team, player versus player, football is always sort of in doubt. When the Cavaliers played the, uh, the, the, the totally loaded Warriors team in the NBA Finals a few years ago, the percent probability that the ESPN computer put on the Warriors to win that series was 97%. <laughs> okay? Yeah. It was basically, I think, Washington Generals had a better chance against the uh, Harlem Globetrotters than that. Right. I mean, it was basically a, a, a foregone conclusion. Football is never a foregone conclusion. Ever. That's right. Right. Every single matchup can go either way. And that and that sort of tension, which is so really not present in other sports, is, I think, part of why football is so special. So you're going to go compete with that. What I just described is the most powerful combination. So. What people love, I think where, where people get lost sometimes is when they, when they think about the football business, is they think that people love the NFL because they love football. People don't love Chick-fil-A chicken sandwiches because they love chicken. 
they love it because the Chick-fil-A chicken sandwich delivers them an experience that is basically unique in the world of a chicken sandwich. It's just so ridiculously good. So they don't, it's not that everyone's like, oh, I'll just eat any chicken. Get me more chicken. But the mindset of people who start these packages is like, well, people just love chicken. So we're just going to throw chicken at them. And it doesn't matter if it's not breaded. And it doesn't matter if it doesn't have sauce. Because they just love chicken. But that's not the way any product or service works. What we love is what it does for us. And what the NFL does for you is deliver that incredible combination of the best athletes in the world playing the best structured game where everything is so significant. Yep. And so if you take away the athlete, it doesn't matter if they have helmets and pads on and they're running around on a gridiron. It's not the NFL and it's not even close. If you look at the Alliance and if you look at the XFL, their ratings started reasonably well, both of them in, those, in their reincarnations, and the ratings went straight down. They just went down every single week. And the fact is, if people were so mad, mad, mad for football, why wouldn't the, uh, the, the audience for the Tuesday night Mac games be gigantic, right? I mean, they're very competitive football games. Uh, you know, those kids are trying their hearts out. There's some amazing athletes out there. It's just, it's not the NFL. The NFL is a huge property, I think. So our perspective is, we don't want any part of trying to replace or compete with tackle football with the NFL. It is the best sports product in the world. But what we saw when we started testing this out, and we started testing this out, you know, in, in 2017, when we played a game where team uh, Michael Vick faced team Terrell Owens, Ocho Cinco was Vick's uh, teammate. And we had all these other great NFL stars and amazing athletes out there. Uh, we had, of course, uh, Nikita Whitlock and Steve Smith from the Giants, that's we had to represent. Um, but what we saw was this amazing thing, that there is something in the sort of core, in the essence of football that actually gets enhanced when you take all the stuff off. Because football is, to me, the perfect game played by people who are essentially anonymous. I mean, essentially, football players are like Star Wars stormtroopers. And basketball is a meaningless, basically, exhibition. All the games don't count. Like I said, in the finals, you could have a team that's a 30-to-1 favorite. Yet, the guys are amazing athletes. Their visibility, their athleticism, their personality, it's what makes the show. And all of a sudden, what we realize is when you watch great athletes play flag football, without the helmets, without the pads, you get basically the best of both worlds. You mm. get the characters, the athleticism, all of that engagement of these incredible athletes that you get in the NBA. But they're still playing football and they're still making plays and you still have the drama of the best structured game in the world, which is football. So we had an incredible reaction to that first game. And it wasn't like anybody thought, you know, oh, Terrell Owens should still be in the NFL or Cat Ojasico should still be in the NFL. It wasn't, it actually didn't matter that they will probably be two past their, past the end of their career. It was just so much fun to watch them competing and all these guys competing and having fun. And so what we've, what we've learned over the last couple of years is that there are really kind of, there's really kind of three groups of players that come and play with us. And that we as a business have a unique advantage that I've never seen in any other sports business. Every other league who starts, every other one that starts in anything is basically got a, they basically have a problem. And the problem that they have 
is somebody else has more money than they do and wants the players that they want. Right? So if you're MLS, right? What, who's playing? What, what division level is MLS in world soccer? And if you were in Germany or Britain or something, right? Would it be third division? Maybe. Maybe. Right? Yes. They just, they just can't compete for the best athletes because all these teams are, in, you know, Manchester City, Manchester United, you know, you're not going to compete with these guys. Right? So you end up with basically a minor league, truly a minor league product, which is why nobody watches it on TV. The games are enormously fun, just like going to a minor league baseball game or a minor league hockey game or whatever. It's incredibly fun. It's a great experience. But nobody watches that stuff on TV either. And ultimately, one of the reasons the MLS loses money every single year and always will is that until they actually have the ability to put a world-class product out there, it's not going to resonate. So we have this unbelievably lucky thing. We have these three groups of players. We have players who played in the NFL. I'm sure you know the answer to this statistic. What is the average career of a skilled player, basically a D-back or receiver, in the NFL right now? The uh, what? Two and a half years? Two and a half years, maybe? Yeah, it's about, it's about two years. That's right. Right? So you think about, in the NFL, there's a shortage of guys who can keep the quarterback from getting killed. And there's a shortage of guys who can play quarterback when they're in danger of being killed. And basically, that's the bottleneck in why there aren't 32 good football teams, because there are enough receivers and defensive backs for 300 football teams. (laughs) But as far as guys who can keep the quarterback from getting killed and guys who can play quarterback when they're in danger, there aren't that many of those guys. So it turns out that the first first place that we can go get players are the guys that have played in the NFL. We have a team playing this weekend. We're in – Indianapolis today, we're playing a, a round of 32 games at a USA football event called the One, which is their national championship of flag. I'm actually looking at a field right now. There's about 200 girls out there playing flag football. It is one of the most beautiful sights you've ever seen. Uh, there's going to be a movement in, in female football that is going to basically cut the legs right out from under soccer, and I can't wait to see it happen. No. But anyway, we're out here, and one of the teams that's coming, a 15-man roster, they literally have nine players who played in the NFL. Now, none of them are guys whose football cards you have, but let me tell you something. If you ever have your name on your back under those lights, you're a hell of a damned athlete, <laughs> right? Even if you played, you know, one season, even if you were on a practice squad for three years, whatever, okay? You're a ridiculous athlete, right? And there's an ocean of those guys, an ocean of them. Then you have the guys that were very accomplished college players who, for whatever reason, did it make the jump? We had a quarterback play with us named Terrell Hunt, who played at Syracuse. He was, like, I think, a second or third round prospect. And his senior year, I think he had an injury, maybe he tore his Achilles. Right? So he missed his turn. He wasn't ready. <laughs> at the point where the league was ready for him, he wasn't ready. So you can't come back next year because next year you got all the guys that are graduating, right? You missed your spot. This guy came out, he was 6'3", 220, he had a, a rifle. There's guys like that everywhere. So you have the pro players whose careers are short but want to keep playing. You have the college players who, for whatever reason, didn't make it. And for a lot of them, it's because they maybe were a little undersized. And then here's the best part. The NFL and the NBA asked something of people which is so insane, which is that you're going to be as agile, as quick, as strong, as athletic, as anybody on the planet, as anybody in the Olympics, 
but you're going to be like three standard deviations larger than anybody else. <laughs> so we're going to combine the fact that you're just way, way, way too big, too tall, too strong, too thick, and you're still going to be a ridiculous athlete. I know you've seen this. You've been on a field when the linemen are warming up before an NFL doing those agility drills and stuff, and you're just kind of, your, your mouth just kind of hangs open. Like, how is this even possible? That's right. That these guys are so, are so agile, right? So the fact is, the number of people who legitimately have NBA point guard quickness and NFL receiver explosiveness is into the tens of thousands who aren't big enough to be in the NBA or the NFL. They're just not big enough. And it's a lot easier to actually be athletic at 150 or 170 pounds than it is at 230 or 270, right? So we have this, this is from a business perspective, when everybody says sports are hard, sports are hard. Nobody's ever started a sports league before where nobody's competing with the players. And as such, we end up with this massive sort of oversupply of talent. Instead of being outbid by the incumbents, either domestically or abroad, who have so much extra money and can just kill you, we don't have that pressure. So it does two things for us. It helps us economically, but it also helps us from a quality of play standpoint. Because if we're not, you know, we're the exact opposite of the MLS, right? We are the best in the world. They are a well-marketed league, but their players are minor league players. Everyone would admit that. Whereas we literally have a team that won our first two championships that beat an, a team of guys that were basically a year or two out of the NFL. Seneca Wallace, Justin Forsett. Huh. Uh, it was a tremendously a job at best. Okay, huh. Olympic sprinter, you know, running back. Okay, this was an amazing team of, of, of ex-NFL players all in NFL shape, ready to play. And our two-time champions fighting cancer beat him 26-6. to six. Didn't really break a sweat. And I promise you that that fighting cancer team would play the Washington football team's skilled players tomorrow in a game of touch football for whatever they would put up. I'll take that bet, but (laughs) I'll take you up on that one. I'll stay on my side on that one. I'll take that bet. No, but the reason that that's not crazy is because these guys weigh 150 pounds. When you watch NFL guys playing these guys, Somebody said that Steve Smith uh, from the Giants looked like he was chasing chickens around in a barnyard <laughs> playing in one of our games. That it was just the quickness. Yeah. Like, it's just, there is something different. And, and you know, we had, a, we had the opportunity when we were working with the National Football League to have 10 of the fighting cancer players, five on, on each team, participate in, a, uh, in an exhibition that they held at the Pro Bowl. And so there were several NFL, you know, experienced players on both teams, Matt Hasselbeck, Deion Sanders. Uh, DeMarcus Ware, I've never seen DeMarcus Ware as happy as he was catching a 30-yard touchdown pass from <laughs> one of the fighting cancer players. Yeah. Um, and by the way, talk about somebody who you should have watched play without helmets and pads. That is a beautiful person. Uh, uh, to watch him moving at that size, with that athleticism, without all that stuff on, is to have just a crazy appreciation for what an athlete he is. But when I talked to the NFL guys after that game, they were like shaking their heads. They were like, we had no idea how good these guys are. Like, they are outrageously good. Michael Griffin, who's played with us a lot, 
Uh, Michael's played in our league in 2018, 2019, and played a tremendous amount of flag. You know, Michael was a Titan, and he, of course, had that great Super Bowl ad about the cupcake a couple of years ago with Brian Arakpo. But what Griff says, and I think he puts it really well, he says the guys that are in these games are the guy that when you were 10 or 12 years old, you looked at the other team and you were like, that's the guy we need to worry about. And, you know, I took my path. I went to Texas. I won the national championship. I got to the NFL and I, you know, I threaded the needle. A lot of them just don't thread the needle hmm. for whatever reason, size, circumstances, whatever. But there's still that, but he says, but there's still that guy. There's still the guy that was the guy you needed to worry about. So that's kind of the thing that I think is our biggest challenge as a business is to convey the quality of play. If you come to one of our games, if you stand on the sideline, every single person I have ever invited to one of our games, about two minutes in, looks at me and says, I had no idea. There is a level of intensity, but there's a beauty to this thing. Um, they basically all turn into kids. They all sort of, whether it's Vic and Ocho Cinco and, and Tio or Danny Werfel, who plays with us, is going to be out here today. Uh, I actually think Dominique Rogers Cromartie was supposed to be showing up today to play. Whether it's one of those guys or it's, it's a college player or anybody, there's a sort of simple joy to this competition. Everybody knows they're not going to get killed and they're going to play a really intense game. Like Danny Werfel said to me two years ago after he lost what I think was the best football game ever played. Uh, he said to me, you know, when I woke up in the morning the next day, something was missing. I said, what was that? He goes, pain. <laughs> well, that's the other that's the other huge plus. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. So you've got a depth of talent you you want people to understand that you do. You have some namesake. There's going to be a lot of names like that you've just cited here that people are going to know. What is the plan to market this so that fans and audiences will want to and will be part of connecting with it? So I think we have, I think, you know, one of the, one of the great things about starting a sport is we all, first of all, we all think we can be the general managers of our favorite team. It's the only business in the world where we all think we're experts in it, right? I mean, it's like, you don't walk into Starbucks and think, oh, I can run this place. Like, but when you're watching the Giants, you're like, oh, I can do better than Gettleman, like no question, right? So it's just kind of a funny thing. We all feel like we get the business side of, of, of sports. But, you know, the hard thing, the, the, the hard thing about sports is to, is to get to that magic recipe that the NFL has accomplished, that those three things, super high quality, 
meaningful contests and a connection to the people involved in those contests, right? That's your job as in the sports business to make all three of those things happen. So if you look at what the MLS has done from the business perspective, they've nailed two out of three. They have a real problem with quality, but they've done a really good job of creating connection. There's a great community sense in those events. So part of, I think, what we need to do is learn from what other people have done well and copy them. And I think what the MLS did very, very well was to leverage a huge participation base. You know, all, remember, they have the same, basically, participation base that we have. Our game is the size of ice hockey, lacrosse, rugby combined plus. Our game is a million and a half larger than tackle football now. It was half a million less than tackle football five years ago. And most people don't know soccer has actually shrunk about 20% in this country in the last 10 years. So, you know, we have a huge participation base, which is going to be more and more girls, by the way. And what MLS did very successfully when they had not such a great product on the field was create amazing kind of community energy events yes. that were not that expensive, you know, not, you know, you're going to a, a, a Giants or WFT game, going to a, a Nationals or Yankees game. I mean, I don't actually even understand how there's anybody there. When you just look at what the, what they do to you when you walk up to the concession stand, you know, a hot dog, a beer, and a Coke, you know, you're like, wait, how did I get to be $43, right? I mean, it's just, you know. You I mean, I, I, get you saying, I get what you're saying. I get what you're saying. But, like, honestly, for me, there is nothing like attending an NFL game. Nothing like it. It's, it's an amazing um, experience going to see those guys well, play that game got, live on that field. Obviously, it's not the same quality of play, but I, had, I did have the experience of going to the Florida LSU game a couple of years ago. Uh-huh. And that was like another level for me as a fan experience because there's just an energy. That there's a different the energy in like college that. football. Yeah. I agree with you. There's yeah. a different energy yeah. because it, it means so much to those people in those stands right. that it's their team. Right. And I think to your point about the MLS, and I agree with you, what they did really, really, really well is they understood that at a grassroots level, if they could make yeah. it matter yeah. in their communities, that that yeah. would be powerful. And they're very, very strong about it. I hope Harvard Business School is, is, is studying and, and talking about what happened in Atlanta because it's a remarkable story. Um, it's a fascinating story of creating community around a sport that nobody had any connection to in a place that is famously blasé about sports. Yeah, you know, the Braves true. used to be in the playoffs every year and they couldn't sell out the games, right? So amazing story. But so what we what we can like sort of learn though from the from the trials and tribulations of MLS is with this huge participation base and we have the same thing that they have which is half of that participation base is kids who are going to want to see people playing what they play so you have the the parents bringing the kids and I mean when you go to an MLS game you see two totally distinct groups you see the people who are adults who play soccer a lot of whom are immigrants right you see that group and you see the kids who drag their parents and are wearing, a, you know, a jersey, right? And those two groups are very powerful. And they will come out to the game, even if it's insignificant. They will come out even if they're not going to be the best team in the world. Because it's because it's, there's so much community and they have so much connection to the game itself. Yes. Right? So that is a powerful thing that we have going for us. And that's very important that we get that right. That we can make our live events very, very, very much portable, 
but really all about community. One of the things that we intend to do is introduce professional teams. And what we're going to do with the professional teams, a little bit out of necessity, but also out of strategy, is that professional teams are going to be community-based. So if we put a team in Austin, Texas, that team is going to live in Austin, Texas. And the chances are a couple of them will have played at UT. The chances are a couple of them will have played for one of the Texas teams in the NFL. Uh, and a couple of them will be guys that were like legends in high school in Texas and everybody knows their name. Yeah. Right? And there's going to be this immediate kind of connection. It's like a throwback to like a different time when teams weren't so volatile, right? When they sort of stayed together for more and they kind of were more representative of the places that they were representing. So we think we can do really good things with, the live events and making them, you know, very much approachable. We're going to play in five, six, eight thousand seat stadiums, right? And so the proximity, you know, is a big part of why minor league sports are so successful. Is the proximity, is that intimacy, is getting closer to something and seeing it in a way that you don't see it in the fifty and eighty thousand seat venues, right? Yeah. So uh-huh. that's the strategy on the on the live events. You have to make those work. Um, but from the media perspective, the question is, how do we get people who aren't at the games to care? And, and again, back to my sort of thesis about all of this, there's no way to create a media property around something that people don't think is more class. It just doesn't exist. Um, what's interesting is people will actually watch almost anything as long as they think the people are, that they're watching are the best. I mean, have you watched a lot of curling since the last Winter Olympics? <laughs> no. No, but I have watched a lot of Fortnite with my son because he shows me who the best at that game is on YouTube. So to your point. That, you're, and you're right, right? What, what people miss about people watching gaming, right, is it back to my three aspects of to succeed. The kids feel a connection because they do it themselves, right? So the connection's there, right? The tournaments are, you know, very urgent. They're structured really well, right? You get killed, you're gone, right? I mean, it's like, that's good structure. And they're amazing. They're the best in the world. I mean, we watch people juggling things that are on fire if they're the best in the world. We watch people going <laughs> over uh, going over jungle gyms on American Ninja Warrior. We watch people telling jokes, it's, singing songs. It doesn't matter. It's true. What makes all that stuff work we're always drawn to people that are great and even better. We're drawn to people who are great, but weren't noticed. And now they're getting their chance because it's sort of affirming that maybe we'll all get our own chance. And there's a lot of that in our thing. So that's what we have to do. We have to make people appreciate, you know, that's, that's the struggle is how to get across how great they are. And it might be, I mean, I, I heard your skepticism when I said, these guys would play your skill players and beat them. You know, I'm, I, I obviously I can't get that done, right? I played a bunch of guys who were a year out and we killed them. But everybody's answer is, well, they were retired, right? So how do I sort of prove their world classness? I don't know. I mean, when you come and see it live and yeah. you see the intensity and the speed of it, you're like, okay, I got it. Yeah. Uh, it, it, this it, this does feel a little like it does this discussion actually feels a little mayweather mcgregor where it really depends which ring you're in and what the rules are that's what it actually feels like 
put those guys in the Washington football team rules at FedEx Field, I'll take my team all every day of the week. But to your point. First of all, several of them would die. (laughs) That's what I'm saying. I don't think they'd have a chance in a situation like that. However, switch the rules up. Right. If Floyd Mayweather didn't box McGregor and had to do MMA against him, how would that have worked out, right? Yes, exactly. Yeah. If you, but if you watch, if you watch the Washington football team on Tuesday and Wednesday, when you go to practice, they ain't wearing any, they ain't wearing any pads. Right? That's right. They're yep. playing seven on seven. Yep. Right? You're right. They play. They they do this all the time. What our guys are playing is seven on seven with flags. And actually, what what Griffin or other the other NFL players who played a lot of flag will actually tell you is pulling flags is the same as tackling. You square the guy up, you attack his midsection, but instead of putting your shoulder into his into his chest, you just put your hands on his hips and pull the flag at the top. So the best flag pullers are guys who are have been tackling mm-hmm. for their whole lives. Um, when the pros that we've had play flag have played, they don't seem to be able to process that. I guess they're afraid they're going to like hurt somebody if they square them up. Um, but again, if you don't hit him, if you square the guy up and just reach for his for his waist, how are you going to hurt him? But they end up thinking they have to sort of stand on the side like a like a uh, bullfighter, and it's sort of like ole as the guy goes by. They go they, they sort of reach for the flag, and there's some physics at work, which is the flag at the connection point on your belt isn't moving very much, but as you get further away from that point, it's moving a lot. <laughs> so you really don't want to try to grab any part of the flag itself. You want to grab it at the connection. So the, 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 the guys that are sort of dabbling don't get that. But like I said, they, I play touch. We'll play touch. The, 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 the main point I'm trying to make is that the quickness, the quickness of the players. The other thing is we were talking a little bit about the business part of the NFL, right? There's no extra quarterback extra offensive line, right? They're short on both. Because you can't play quarterback nervous. I mean, his last like five years, you could tell every single play, you could tell Eli Manning was like, I don't want to get killed on this play. I don't want to get killed on this play. I've already got a lot of money. I have a beautiful family. Okay, I'll just get rid of it. I, you know, like he was trying not to get killed the entire time instead of just standing there and whatever happens, happens. So the beauty of our game is the quarterback has no danger. Right. <laughs> it's amazing how well, it's amazing how well a guy who in a game of tackles wouldn't have the guts to stand in you you can't tell my point is when you watch a guy playing beautifully in a flag game you can't tell if he would have been able to do it in a tackle game because it looks the same he's making the same plays right he's actually making them in the same amount of time in the same space it's basically you can run an nfl playbook in our game like seven guys starting five uh targets i mean on a hundred yard field so it looks the same, but you'll never know. It's never tested <laughs> whether he could have actually done that if there was a three hundred pound well, man bearing down. Right. How do you right? right. How do you quantify fear? How do you quantify fear? <laughs> and if you take the fear out of it, you know, how will you perform? That's right. But that's not it, but that's not happening. So we don't have to find that out. And so so you know, when you're gonna see and I've I've actually developed a lot of relationships with current NFL players, I found it's really interesting to me. There's a lot of guys that are on LinkedIn. We're currently players. And I think it's awesome of them to do that because what they're basically saying is I need to connect to the world. I'm not going to be independently wealthy when I finish playing in the NFL, unfortunately. 
and I'm going to have to have a life after this. And so they're trying to sort of find their way while they're still playing and they have that brand value. I think it's really smart. And I've, I've had a lot of conversations with current players. And one of the things that I say to them was, if flag football was in the Olympics and there was a U.S. national team and the NFL gave you permission to play in the Olympics and put USA on your chest, would you try out? And I haven't had one guy say no. They're all like, wait, you could do that? Like, is that possible? Right? All of a sudden, like something appears in their head, like, I could do that? Mm-hmm. So, you know, we're going to get to a point where the athletes are appreciated. I don't know how I'm going to get it across. I, I worked with John Brankus a bit at the beginning, and we were trying to quantify everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, yeah. somehow, somehow, I think the best way really is, I think it is in person, unfortunately. It, it kind of is, it kind of is difficult when you're, you know, when television, you know, like you see the one-handed catches and everything, everyone's like, yeah, but he wasn't going to get hit. It's like, I don't know. It's still pretty much the same catch that Odell made, but okay, fine. Right. There's always that kind of, and what only when you're there, do you see the intensity of it and the physicality of it. What we say about flag is it is a contact sport. It's not a collision sport. It is a contact sport, just like being under the boards in an NBA game is a contact sport. There's a lot of contact. We have a chuck at the, at the line of scrimmage in the first five yards, okay? Jason Avant played with us last time. I'm really, really certain that uh, you did not want to uh, be the defensive back trying to keep Jason Avant from getting into his pass. <laughs> I bet. Okay? Jason Avant was coming out of being on American Ninja Warrior, so he was sort of fit. Okay? I mean, it was insane. He was competing for the ball. The guy who was guarding him won a national championship at LSU in 2010 um, as a defensive back. And he was a big boy. He he could sort of hang with him. But, um, you know, it's physical. So that's really our, I think, I think at the end of the day, we have this benefit as a business of this kind of natural, we have a natural market. And we actually are starting our own youth league. But we and, and, and where on earth can you invest in a sport where you get the men and the women, and women's flag is going to be huge. You get the men and the women, you get the adults and the kids, and you get pros and you get amateurs. So from a business perspective, you know, we're sort of the pioneers. We kind of saw this before other people did. You know, everybody, I, I always say in 10 years, everyone's going to be like, that was the most obvious thing. <laughs> and how come I didn't see it coming? But but it's hard, you know, because you always have to, in any startup, you're always overcoming, you know, everybody about anything that hasn't been done sort of becomes skeptical. Well, why hasn't it been done already? But, I mean, if you said that, we still wouldn't have the wheel, right? I mean, at some point, you know, you just have to try to do something that hasn't been done and see if it works out. Um, but there's no precedent for a sport of this size with this kind of growth and with this kind of sort of pure, raw it's just a very appealing thing. Um, and whether you're watching your kids play it in second grade or you're watching, uh, you know, Jason Avant catch a pass from Danny Werfel and play football, it has a, it's very appealing. So, um, you know, there's, there's very little to say, I really don't want my kid to do that. I don't want my kid to watch that. I don't want to, you know, there's no negative. It's all possible. It's all upside. So we think it's worth, we think it's worth the struggle. Um, a startup struggle. Yeah. And, 
you know, I'm in my 50s and I can tell you that I understand completely why most of the people that do startups are not in their 50s. <laughs> I hear you. It, it is, you know, it's every day. You know, it's like, uh, you know, wake up every morning and, and there's a list and it's never, the list is never finished at the end of the day. Yep. So, um, but, uh, you know, we're about to play, you know, in a couple of hours here to play our, our first game since the pandemic, our first official AFL game since uh, Father's Day of 2019. Huh. And one of the things I tell people is the proof of how good this product is, is that after having watched about 600 games, I work in the chocolate chip cookie factory, and all I want to eat is chocolate chip cookies. Like, literally, I am so excited as just a fan, as a sports fan, as a football fan. I know the matchups that we have coming over the next few days. I'm so excited to see them play again. Like, I'm more excited than I would be if the Yankees were in the World Series. More excited than I would be if the Giants were in the Super Bowl. It's like, I just want to see them play again because they're so awesome. Yep. So... If I'm not sick of it yet after five years of this, maybe there's something there. <laughs> Jeff Lewis is the CEO of the American Flag Football League. Thank you so much for joining us, Jeff. Uh, it's been a real pleasure. I wish uh, I wish the football team all success this year and finishing second to my Giants, <laughs> and uh, hopefully they'll both make the playoffs. That will do it for this episode. As always, the future is now. This is the Future Sport Podcast. I'm Bram Weinstein. <laughs>